want to ask you to pray with me. We, uh, we do this occasionally on Sunday mornings, but we're going to just spend a moment praising the Lord and you do whatever you're comfortable with. If you're comfortable, close your eyes and look to heaven. Raise a hand, raise both hands. Lord, we praise your name this morning. God the Father, we praise you and we love you and we adore you. Holy Spirit, in this place, we love you and we ask you to make yourself known to us. Jesus Christ, we praise you, we love you, you are our Lord, our Savior. Lord, we love you, we honor you, and again, we ask you to make yourself known. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Would you give the band a hand for a great job today? I want to welcome you here, and if you're watching online, we welcome you uh, here also today and joining us with this service. How many of you either have a doctor's degree or have worked on one or are working on one? Do we have several here today? We got a couple with shy hands. We got more. Y'all are just being humble bumbles or whatever. But when you think about a doctor's degree, a lot of times you think of a vet or a medical doctor uh, our dentist, they certainly, those are doctors, but there are other doctor's degrees too. Years ago in West Texas, there was a pastor, Methodist pastor, had a doctor's degree, and the church was on a state highway, a major state highway, and the parsonage, which is the, where the pastor and his family live, was right by the church on the state highway. He had a doctor's degree in theology, and on his mailbox, it said, Dr. Jones. One day, there was a wreck outside of his house. No one was killed, but there were some injuries. And it was people from out of town, and they saw this mailbox that said Dr. Jones on it. So one of the people runs up there, knocks on the door, and they said, we've had a wreck, we need some help, and we see that this is a doctor that lives here. And the housekeeper was keeping the house, and she said, oh, no, no, he's one of those preacher doctors. He can't do anything. And uh, that's probably a lot of truth to that. But we understand, especially in Ruston, what an academic or medical doctor's degree is. And there are great things, great things to go after if that's what you're supposed to go after. But I want to talk to you this morning out of Proverbs 3. I want to talk to you about getting a doctor's degree in wisdom. And it's very obtainable. It's very possible. It's not easy, but it's very possible for, for you and I to get this. Solomon is who God used to pen almost all of the book of Proverbs. We believe that he probably wrote about 3,000 Proverbs, 800 made it in this book. He also wrote over 1,000 songs. I mean, Josh Moore, wherever you are, this guy, was uh, he would have been great to have on your praise team, wouldn't he? He would be coming up with new songs. And he was the wisest person ever. He had asked God when he was young. God, he found, he found favor with God, and, and he asked God. Uh, God said, what, what would you like? And he said, wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. He was the wisest guy ever. But towards the end of his life, and this book was probably written towards the middle, toward the end of his life, he blew it. He got away from God. And all his great, all his great intellect did not save him from making some really bad decisions in his life that cost him and his family. And so this was going to be one sermon, but on Thursday, I realized it was going to be one 50-minute sermon. So in other words, it's going to be two 25-minute sermons, which all of you like much better. Say amen. Okay. So Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. I want to give you two big, big words. And the first word is obey. The first word is obey. How, do you be a, how can you be a man or a woman 
who lives with God wisdom, who lives with common sense and understanding, with a fear of God and a respect for people that makes you do life very well. It begins with this one word, obey. Look in verse 1. My son, this be my daughter, whoever, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Leave that on the screen. Do not forget that, that little phrase there. It can mean to lose from memory, but it, it, it's more than that. What, what he's saying to you and me, and this is important. Hey, don't be oblivious to the word of God. Don't lose it from your mind. Don't see a lot of us are oblivious to the word of God. It, it, we don't have a mental problem. We have a attention problem is, is, is our issue. He goes, Hey, do not forget this. Do not forget my teaching. If you're taking notes, that word teaching there literally means Torah. And the Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But it came on to encompass uh, all of the Word of God. So what he's saying to you and me this morning, you really want to be wise. Get a PhD. Get a medical degree. That's awesome. But you can be an educated fool. If you want to be really wise, I want you to get a hold of my teachings. Let your heart, and what he's saying by that, keep my commandments. That's a repeatment of the Word of God. He's saying, I want you to let my word get in your head and to get into your heart and come out of your emotions and your will and your behavior. Man, it was a, it was a powerful statement he was saying to them and saying to us. I want you to take in the word of God. I want you to keep taking in the word of God. And I want you to obey it where it changes your behavior. Several years ago, there was a, a massive survey. They asked people biblical questions. Some of this, I don't know for sure if it really happened or not, but, but it is interesting. They asked them, who was Noah's wife? I'd love to ask some of you who Noah's wife was. Just see what you'd say. It'd be interesting. Somebody said, Kaylee, Joan of Ark. If you don't think that's funny, you do not know the Bible very What's Noah known for? The Ark. Thank you. By the way, it wasn't Joan of Arc. And by the way, the Bible never says if someone asks you, say, Mrs. Noah, that is all we know. I don't know if this is true or not either. They said, who were the three wise men? Do you know who the three wise men were, what their names were? Someone said Larry, Curly, and Moe. I love those guys. I'm not sure they would be described as wise. First of all, do we know how many wise men there were? No. Why do we say there's three? Because they gave three gifts. We, we don't know, but it's funny when, when people are asked biblical questions, they can come to some really weird conclusions. Take your hand, do like this. Do like this. Here's, th- this is not original with me. This is a great thing to do with the Word of God. Number one, hear it. Literally, Frank, who leads our traditional worship, wrote these on his fingers this morning. Merrick, maybe you need to do this today. He showed me after church. I wonder why he was scribbling on his hands during church that I was doing. Hear the Word of God. Listen, coming to church and hearing the Word of God, man, that's not an option for someone who's serious about Christ. You need to be hearing the Word of God. Number two, you need to read the Word of God. Read it is different from some other things we're going to look at. You need to be taking it in. Read, read a chapter or two a day. Number three, you need to study the Word of God. Oftentimes, I'll read multiple chapters, and then I will study four or five verses in my own personal time. Study the Word of God. Number four, memorize the Word of God. Okay, how many of you memorized the, the Scripture verse for this month for First Baptist? 
I'm looking at my paid ministers. Uh, oh, I, I want to resign. I'm a failure when it comes to Scripture memory. Psalms 34.4. Listen, this is a terrible verse. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. How many of you woke up at 2 in the morning to thunder last night? I was praying that verse to God. <laughs> God, deliver me from all my... You said it. You said it. I'm claiming it. I'm standing on the promises. Memorize Scripture. And number five, meditate. And by the way, you can't really meditate if you don't memorize. What is meditating? Here's a bad illustration, but it's a great illustration. It's a cow chewing its cud. A cow has an ability I wish I had. A cow can eat something, chew it, eat it, and then bring it back up and chew it again. No, you're saying that's gross. Think about this. But that's not double calories. How many Little Debbies you eat? Well, I actually ate two, but I ate them four times, so I ate eight Little Debbies today. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Okay, but... That's what meditation is. Meditation is chewing on it and swallowing it and bringing it back up and chewing on it again. Hear it. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate it. Take in the Word of God. You've got to be taken in the Word of God. In January of last year, MIT, and that's not Mississippi Institute of Trade. That's Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And one of their tech magazines... And I, I hate to argue with people at MIT because they're like a million times smarter. But, but they said this. They said their studies have shown people are online about 24 hours a week. I think that must just be the smartphone because I'm going to bet you in front of me, my lovely teenagers, that y'all are online more than that. Wouldn't you? Would you agree? Not you, but I mean your friends. Would you agree your friends are? Okay. But just think about 24 hours, man, that's, that's a lot of time. And again, I think it's a lot more when you put in your phone, your laptop, and, and your iPad, different things like that. But, but here, okay, 24 hours a week, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm all for the phone, iPad, and, and laptop. 30 minutes a day you can read through your Bible every year. 30 minutes a day. And you don't have to be a fast reader. You go, I can't read the whole Bible. Leviticus kills me. I understand many Bible readers have been slain reading Leviticus. Read your New Testament. Every, I've already read it. Read it every stinking year. You will learn something tremendously every year. You can read one chapter a day, five days a week. It's going to take you about 10 minutes. Be so exhausted by Friday from your reading. Take Saturday and Sunday off. You'll read through the New Testament easily in a year. Drag yourself to church. Come to church. If you just can't come, I'm saying for our church, you come to small groups, connection groups, and you come to one worship service, that's going to be about two hours of your time. And then you can spend the rest of your time online or whatever you want to do. But man, listen, you can, your life can be transformed if you will get the word of God in you and that you will live it out. And you've got to live it out. This is not for argument and ego. It's to live it out. And God says when we do this, this is where we find real success. Look in verse 1 and 2. My son, don't forget my teaching. Don't let it get away from you. But let your heart keep my commandments. When you do this, you'll have length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Man, this is, this is so wonderful here. It, it, it is absolutely wonderful. The word life there, if you're taking notes, it means health and prosperity. Now, this is not health and wealth gospel. 
What he's saying here, and this is not health and wealth, this is what God's saying, it's not me. What, what he's saying here is when you take it in and you obey God and you obey God's word, that's the way to have the most prosperous, healthy, and best life. He uses the word peace next. And, and years of life and peace. The word peace there is the great Hebrew word shalom, which literally means peace like the hippies used to do, but it means harmony or means completeness. God says, listen, man, when you take in the word of God continually and you live it out continually, this is how you find the life that you want. This is how you prosper. This is how you find harmony on the inside. This is how you find completeness. What, what a tremendous, tremendous thing. Wow. And say, listen, Solomon got away from God. The wisest man, the most intelligent man ever, he disobeyed God. God had said from the beginning, one man for one woman. Solomon had 700 stinking wives at the end of his life. And women, I'm not kicking you. You women who are married, can you imagine having 700 of us? And he had 300 concubines on top of that. A concubine is a chick on the side that you're not married to, that legally belongs to you. Would, how many of you married people agree if there was a thousand more of whatever you have, it'd be tough? Amen. The only good thing is, is you won't have to see them about every three years, right? You know, I'll spend this day with you and I'll see you in 2023, okay? God bless you and the family. But Solomon disobeyed God. And listen, he disobeyed the word of God. Solomon could beat you in any kind of intellectual argument or theological argument you wanted to have. But he married women that, that pulled him away from God. And it, and it ruined his life, ruined his legacy, and, and certainly affected the generations to come. Man, obey God, hear God, know God, obey God. Listen to this. Trends, trends in America at the, way, at the rate we're going right now by the year 2040. Now, that's... That's just 21 years away. I mean, that's that 2040. That sounds like, man, people won't even need cars. They'll just fly everywhere they go then. 2040, the way Bible reading, taking in the Word of God, if these trends stay consistent, 70% of people in America will have no real connection to the Word of God. Now, think about that with your politics. Think about that with your judges and the people who are going to be determining how we live our lives or are trying to shape our lives. Man, hey, you, you want your life to go well? Get in a church that teaches the truth. Get you a Bible and read it and study it. Get in a small group. Man, it's, it's a key. It's a gigantic, huge key to wisdom. Teddy Roosevelt was our 26th president. Listen to what he said. Knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college degree. Herbert Hoover, our 31st president, said studying the Bible will give you a postgraduate degree in life. I agree. I would encourage you to get all the education you can get. But, man, get all the wisdom you can get. Read and know your Bible and obey your Bible. And let me just stop again one more time and say, if you right now, if you think, man, I've heard this before, whatever, you are in danger of going Solomon on us. You don't ever outgrow this. You never move past these things. Here's the second word this morning, and it's the word love. It's the word love. Solomon, some scholars believe, and, and I'm, I'm not a scholar, but I would tend to agree that this chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, that we'll look at the 4 and 6, 5 and 6 next week, that these were kind of the pinnacle of, of wisdom, he said, I want you to obey God. And the next thing, I want you to really love people. Look in verse 3. Let 
not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Jamie, if you would, leave that there. The phrase steadfast love was one word in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. It's a great word, hesed. It's it's spelled with a C-H-E-S-E-D. That's how we would transliterate that from the Hebrew to the English. It's almost like the Greek word agape. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word agape is an unconditional love that God has for us. This steadfast love was the love that God has for us. It's a, it's a, a love that, it's loving kindness, it's loving and it's merciful, and it certainly, listen, it has discipline and has correction, but it's loving and it's kind of God saying, this is the kind of God I am to people and to you, and this is what I want you to be to people. I want you to be loving and kind, but he doesn't end there. I want you to have steadfast love and faithfulness. I want you to be loyal. I want you to have a stability about your love. I want you to love people with loving kindness and mercy, and I want you to be loyal. Bind this around your neck. Thank goodness he's talking figuratively here. Bind this love for others around your neck. Bind this command. Imprint this on your heart. Print this on the tablet of your heart that you will live these things out. It's funny, I mentioned this in reading that passage in, in Deuteronomy today, and here where God says, bind this on your head and your heart, that's what a lot of the Jewish people did. They wore what was called a phylactery. Have any of you heard of a phylactery? You heard that word before? Somebody raise your hand. I know you have. Thank you. You may have been lying, but thank you for raising your hand. I appreciate that. A phylactery is like, is like the Jewish Old Testament version of our sweatband, but it had Bible verses on it. <laughs> and, and literally, when Cindy and I in Israel, we saw people with this on their heads today. And, like a sweatband and have a box right here with scriptures in it. And they might even have them written on their, their arms or on bands and straps around their arms. And, and that's fine. But what God's saying is, God's saying, I want you to obey me. I want you to know my commands and obey me. But then he's coming back here and saying, I, my number one command is loving Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the most important command? Jesus said, know your Bible and win arguments. Show them you're better than they are. Look down on people that sin worse than you do. No, here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And secondly, love people as yourself. And when you do this, everything falls together. Jesus is saying this here, but back in the Old Testament, God's saying this through Solomon, really love people with a loyal, steadfast love. Go home today and read 1 Corinthians 13. Take you two minutes, five minutes at the most. Easy chapter to read. You you might ought to read it every day. It's called the love chapter. One of the things that you would have to agree when you read that is that, that real love that God talks about and wants is loyal and steadfast and it's faithful. If you're taking notes, write this down. True discipleship is not about knowledge. True discipleship is about how you love people. You know how you can tell if you're growing in Jesus? It's, it's not how many verses you know, and knowing verses is great. It, it's certainly not theologically beating people down or, or winning the argument. Man, you're growing in Christ's likeness in how you love other people and how steady and faithful and commitment committed you are in that. Several years ago in India, a lady, 23-year-old lady, looks in her backyard and sees a tiger attacking her goat. How many of you have fire ant problems? 
armadillo problems? You have any armadillo? The next time you're upset about fire ants or armadillos, just praise God that you're not, you don't have tigers in your backyard. Well, my wife went out to feed the, the cat. I guess tiger got her. Hadn't seen her in a few days. This lady sees a tiger attacking her goat. She grabs a stick and she starts fighting the tiger. Here's a bad thing. or something maybe you need to know. When you start fighting the tiger, the tiger starts fighting you. So the tiger attacks the lady. The lady's elderly mother sees the tiger attacking her. She runs out there. And that these two women are fighting this tiger. Thank God they were able to get away. They live. Why do you risk your life for a goat? Why do you risk your life for another person? Because you have a steadfast love for them. That's what God's talking about here. That's what's missing in this room and so many of our lives. That loyal, steadfast love. The Marines call it semper fi, Latin for always faithful. And God's saying, listen, man, you want to be wise? You obey me. And at the top of the obedience food chain is that you love people with an unwavering love. And here's what God tells us. This is where you find real significance. This is where you find real meaning. You're looking for meaning. You want to be important. You want your life to matter. Any normal person does. Look in verse 4. When you love people with a faithful love, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That word favor means charm, and it means grace and loveliness. You'll find good success. The word good means beautiful and joyful and precious. And success literally means success or happiness. Listen, this is what we're all looking for. And God says, man, love people. And when you really, truly love people with a faithful, steady love, God is going to pour his favor on you. People will pour their favor on you. God is going to bless you. You're going to look pretty. You're going to look good. You're going to be doing life the way that God wants you to do life. Man, that is so important. I wonder if Solomon got away from this later in his life. Some of us have gotten away from it. I mean, we, we know the Bible a little bit. We Probably not as well as we think we do, but we do. We just don't really like people anymore. It's pretty easy to get there. God says, I want you to love people with a faithful love. Listen to this. There was an article titled Hardwired to Connect. 33 research scientists looked at what makes people tick. These weren't Christians. This wasn't coming from a Christian perspective. And here's what they said. We are hardwired. We would say we're hardwired by God. We are biologically primed to find meaning through relationships. That's why God created Eve. God knew Adam needed somebody else with him, another one like him. We're hardwired to find meaning in relationship. But listen to what the article went on to say. But yet in our narcissistic world that we live in, we're not committed to people anymore. We're losing the very thing that brings us happiness. We'll sit in a group of 10 people on our phones the whole time. We don't have a, a commitment to one another. Now, hey, I, I want to stop and say this. Man, there's, there's time you got to move on. You got to move on from a job. You got to move on from a church. You got to move on from a relationship. You're dating somebody that's going bad. You need to run now, move on. There's times you need to move on from a, a place as an employee, as a boss. You got to let people go. That doesn't mean you're not loving. Sometimes you got to do those things. Listen, God loves you, but God will spank you. But man, make sure the reason 
that people or things fall out of your life is not because you're disloyal, but because you're just trying to do the right thing as you follow God. You want to be a great husband, a great wife? Man, I, I'll give you 10 books to read. We'll, we'll get you to see Brandon. We'll do, I will do a thousand things to help you. I don't know, simplify it, man. Just love people. That's how you're a great friend. That's how you're a great child. That's how you're a great parent. You're a great employee, a great boss. Just love people. There was a couple been married seven, 71 years, Walker and Ellen. 71 years. They were interviewed on ABC News back in 2010, and they were asked, what is the secret to being married 71 years? And they were sticking the mic in their mouths, and they were expecting all these profound answers. And, and Walker just cleared his throat and said, you just got to really love each other. He said, when you really love each other and you're faithful and you're loyal, you can make it. Wow, that's profound. You know what people need from you more than anything else? What God honors and they will honor is steadfast love. And again, man, we live in a world where we throw people away quickly. Love people. Steadfast love. I'm going to read to you an article, and if it makes you cry, that's fine. If you're a man and you start crying, just act like you're scratching. That's what I do. Like when I'm in a movie and a dog dies, I just have to kind of... True story. A man named Roger was suffering from early onset Alzheimer's disease. One morning, his wife Becky came back to the bedroom and he had written a note and put it on her pillow. This is what it said Honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. In fact, you and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I'm surrounded by you and your love. Honey, I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of our memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. His wife said, fighting back the tears, wrote him a letter and put it on his pillow. Listen to what it says. My sweet husband, what will happen when we get to the point where you no longer know me? I will continue to know you. I will continue loving you. I will continue to care for you. Not because you know me or remember our life, but because I love and remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and who told me he loved me. I will remember the look on his face when his children were born. I will remember the father he was and the way he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for writing, hiking, and reading, his tears at sentimental movies, the unexpected witty remarks, and how he held my hand when we prayed. I will cherish the pleasure and obligation and the commitment and opportunity to care for you When you no longer remember me, because I'll remember you, and I'll love you. I don't know that lady, but boy, if I was going into a fight, I'd want her on my side. See, that's what wisdom is. 
You may not ever get a PhD in nuclear physics. I'm not. Here's a cool thing. You can get a PhD in wisdom. When you make a decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take in God's word and I'm going to obey it the rest of my life. And I'm going to love the people in my life. I may have to get away from some of them. I may have to whatever. But I'm going to love people and I'm going to be loyal. If you do that, you will be a Ph.D. in wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for my Christians. God, I pray that they will hear these words this morning and act on them. This morning, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the wisest thing you can do is to give your life to Christ. Many in the Bible called out, what must I do to be saved? If you're ready to be saved, pray with me. You just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and you arose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a moment. And when we do, man, you you just ask Jesus in your life or you're ready to come today. Give your life to Christ. If If you have a hard time walking down, I'll be at this door after church. You may never have this opportunity again, but you have it now. Give your life to Christ today. Some of you, it's time to join the church. You need to join us. You can come and do that when we stand. You can do it after church. You, all all of us desperately need a church that's going to love us and teach us about Jesus. Come and join us today if God's leading you to. You're a Christian. Some of you are doing well with these things. Keep it up. Because, see, you can do well with these things and then you can fall way away. Maybe you're not doing as, as well. Where you're standing or at the altar, man, pray to God and say, God, help the rest of my life to be on a trajectory to obey you and to love people as I should. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.